Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling appeal. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you that while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered these words, and returning from the tomb, they told all the things to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Jonah, oh, not, I'm sorry, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman who was with them, who told these things to the apostles, but the word seemed idled, and so they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what happened. For those taking notes, that's Luke 24, 1 through 12. It's the Easter story. The Easter story, the Easter testimony. You guys know I don't really like the word story because stories can be fiction, but it's not. It's nonfiction. It's a testimony. It's something that actually truly happened. And one of the things that we all marveled about many times is just how, not just in this testimony, but in all the testimonies, there's so many unique details that let you have a good hint that it's God and not us because we would not do it the way that God does it. Um, for instance, there's a detail, and this was actually, Monica and I got into this, I don't remember what day, it wasn't too long ago. We were talking, to, oh, it was 48 Plus Club. As we were talking about, uh, which was greater, Christmas or Easter. What dokes are we that we're trying to figure out Christmas? <laughs> but... But she was making the point that with the Easter, you know, this is when Christ took on our sins, and this is where salvation comes from, is from rising uh, out of the grave. Uh, and I still really love the Christmas aspect, because what I marvel at is not that he loved us enough, not just that he loved us enough to take the cross and take on our sin and die and raise again, but he loved us enough to leave heaven and his throne to come to the cesspool. That still just amazes me. So we decided we were just going to love both. Right? That's where we left it at. So the thing was, then I was, as I was looking at this, there's also a lot of things that kind of go back and forth. Because the a unique detail in the Christmas story is that God chose the wise men, oh, not the wise men, but the shepherds, to be the first witnesses. You remember that? And that that was, like, seriously crazy because no one in that culture trusted shepherds. To the point that uh, they were so looked down upon, they were not allowed to testify in court cases. Right? We've talked about that almost every year at Christmas. If a shepherd saw somebody murder somebody else, the Amarillo's are not any witnesses because they, they don't allow them to be witnesses. And God says, hey, here's my guys. Right? So here, the first witnesses that we have for the resurrection are the ladies. And again, in that culture at that time, ladies weren't allowed to testify in court either. They were basically considered property of the men. No jokes. Right? The old days, the old days. Thankfully, we evolved. 
so much. But no, but, but it was. That, that's what it was. But, but Jesus was really the first person to come along and to give power to women and to give them places of serving and to respect them the way that they ought, ought to be done. But the rest of the world didn't do so. But it's kind of a unique detail how God chooses his, his first witnesses to go out. Uh, it's unique within this that they have the spices. Um, because usually the spices that they were bringing are what they prepare the body for for the burial. So it's kind of odd to have spices coming two days later instead of the, the day of when they lay him down. But uh, if you've ever kind of looked at that or listened a few times over, that they had to bury Jesus like that very, very quickly because the Sabbath was starting at sundown. And so they basically just had enough time to get his body down, wrap it, put it in, roll the stone. So they didn't prepare the body at all. And I think it's amazing the faithfulness of these wonderful women to be waiting until the moment the sun was coming up, the very first moment when the Sabbath was done, that they could be there to prepare the Lord's body because they loved him that much. It wasn't just like, well, what's done is done. We can go out one. I mean, they were waiting for the moment to be able to go and do the spices, even though they had no idea how to, uh, to roll the stone away, that they were, they were on that. Uh, and then, obviously, it's a unique detail that the tomb was empty, kind of part one. When they first walked in, like, the body of Jesus isn't there. And so the first question becomes, where, where is he? And as we look at the harmony of go the Gospels, that's a, that's a question, isn't it? Where did they take him? Did they hide him? Did they steal the body? Did they, are they doing more to him even after he's dead? Was, was their thoughts. But then we start getting into the kingdom of God unique details. Where things start getting bigger and things start getting a little bit more wild. You have these two guys just show up in dazzling clothing. And that's not like, uh, like you're watching a reality show today on fashion and this, oh, your clothes are so dazzling. You know? The, uh, it's, not, it's not that. It's... Um, yeah, they're angelic, right? And the, we know they're angelic. We know they're dazzling because they're not of this world. Because why? The women fall on their face. And we see that time and time again. If you go back to the Christmas aspect of it, when Mary saw the angel, she fell on her face. Do not be afraid. When Joseph had the vision, the angel fell on his face. Do not be afraid. That, that's the natural response to seeing an angel. We see it over and over and over again. And so now we have the angelic show up, and they fall on their face. Do not be afraid. And then that's where they deliver the news that he's risen. So the empty grave kind of part two aspect of it. They didn't put that together in any way, shape, or form that he had come back to life. And so the third part that I, that I thought was a big unique is them saying, don't you remember the words? You, it's kind of crazy to me. And I, I, I think we're going to find that we do it too. But if you've been following Jesus and you've seen the kingdom of God living that we've been talking about, because if you've not been around, we've been on the life of Jesus now for a year and eight months. This is actually the last day of that aspect of looking at the life of Jesus at the intensity that we have been. And we've been looking at what it means to be living the kingdom of God living now when, when you're following him. And if you're following him and you've seen the healings and you've heard the parables and you've seen the miracles and you've seen him raise people from the dead and, and, and again a messianic miracle there's four messianic miracles that they said only the messiah who comes someday will be able to do is raise somebody from the dead after three days and they just saw him do that with Lazarus you know they, they, all, all, this shouldn't be all that weird to them that he says hey by the way I'm going to die and I'm going to raise three days later and he doesn't just say it once he says it multiple times in their journey that this is going on. So I would almost suspect 
that they wouldn't be jonesing to be able to go do the spices, but that they'd be jonesing to say, he said he was going to raise, raise up in three days. Like that's what you would hold on to for your hope. You know, we need to be there with, you know, some party hats and a little fiesta going on. We need to greet, welcome him as he's coming out of the tomb. It never even occurred to him until the angel said it. And they're like, oh, that's right. And then they started to get it. Went back to disciples. Remember we said three days? He's going to raise again. We saw these angels. And they're like, man, we've seen angels a million times, but that just seems too much out there. What is wrong with them, Right? But at the same standpoint, I think we understand because I've been walking with the Lord for a really long time. And I could tell you about many, many stories of just how faithful he is. And I could tell you how many times I take and read something in the scripture and go, that's right, he's in charge. That's right, he's got this. Right? So, so it's just it's something that's kind of with them because their emotion had had blinded them, their anxiety had blinded them, their fear had blinded them, their feeling of defeat had blinded them, and it's just an encouragement that you and I go through the whole the same thing, that we go through the same thing, because it's just so foreign to our mortal self. Uh, Lisa, let's do Luke 17, 20 through 21. Um, there's a little testimony just to kind of support the thought, but this is from a Pharisee standpoint. Again, religious leaders, people who were following God and got massively off track, but uh, there was a time when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. I am not saying that heaven is here on earth and we uh, experience this kind of utopia way. Heaven is, uh, we got an eternity to look forward to. If you've accepted Jesus as leaving and forgiving your life, th there's a party coming. But according to Jesus and what we've been looking at for the last couple of years is that we can experience kingdom of God living here today. It's not something that you see. It's not something that we fully understand. It's something that we marvel at. It's something that we lean into. It's something that we encourage each other into is the, is the kingdom of God. But that we struggle with it because it's so not us mortally. We've got to see it with his eyes. Everybody still together? Okay, so here's what I want to go, get into when it comes to Easter, when it comes to the resurrection, is there's one more aspect to this, this talk that we've been in for so, so long and encouraging each other to be able to, to see it through his eyes, is this. If there's a kingdom of God, and we believe there's a kingdom of God, and there's a kingdom of God living today, then there must be a king. And we can't move forward without really recognizing that the one that we have been studying so in-depthly is king in our lives if we accept him as leader and forgiver in our lives. And so that's kind of what I want to look at with you today, a little bit of, of, of facets from a couple of different angles. The first one I want to talk about that you, you might not have thought about before, but when it comes to kings, this has been in God's plans for a very long time to fix us. Um, when you look at the scripture, you see God, I mean, from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, God is constantly trying to save us, trying to save the lost. I mean, everything you see in there, no matter what story you're looking at, what testimony you're looking at, what parable you're looking at, what teaching you're looking at, he is constantly, from the time that even Adam chowed down on that fruit to the day that Jesus comes back and puts his feet back on, on this earth and the, the, his reign begins in its full, fullness from the way that we'll see it, it's constantly God trying to save us. 
and there's different, many aspects into that as well. Like if you look at Genesis and they ate of the food, uh, God, do you remember God covered their nakedness with the uh, skin of an animal? Do you remember that? For an animal? Um, like me, I was the first thing because they were now ashamed of their nakedness. They realized they were naked um, and, and whatnot. And a lot of people believe, not everybody, but so this isn't Bible, this is a commentary, decide if you want it or not, uh, that it was sheepskin that he used to cover their nakedness, which shows Christ taking the covering of sin. There's a lot of those type of things within the scripture. So there's in the Old Testament, if you get into Samuel, uh, there comes a point when the Israelites, who are God's chosen people, right, um, start wanting a king. And they never had a king because God's supposed to be their king. And so it ends up becoming kind of a big issue because God's getting frustrated with them because he said, okay, you're my chosen people. And he didn't do that so that they're the only ones that get saved and everybody else gets to go to hell. He did it so the rest of the world could see this is what it looks like for me to be your king and then woo the rest of the world to him. Okay, the Jews kind of messed that up a little bit and, and, and by Jesus' time they, they thought they were like special and only people of God. But that was never his intent. And so in this, the people inside the chosen people messed up and they started looking outwards and saying we want to be like them instead of outwards looking and saying we want to be like you. And they would see these different nations that would have kings and they were prosperous or they would win in battles or whatever the case would be and they're like we want a king too. We want to be like everybody else. Everybody's kind of laughing at us because we don't have a king. And God was going to his prophet and like you don't want a king. You don't want a king. I'm, I'm enough. And we went back and forth to the point that according to the scripture God finally relented and said fine give him a king. I'm going to give him a king. And uh, they're not going to really like it, but they're going to have a king. And immediately he had a plan in place to fix that king situation through Jesus Christ. They got Saul. Saul was this big, tall hunk of a man from what they, they say, kind of a think Beauty and the Beast Gaston, right? <laughs> Basically, they, he, Saul was Gaston without um, the ego because he was scared all the time. Matter of fact, it's hilarious if you read it. The day that they, they were having the big party to make him king, uh, they couldn't find him. Do you guys know this part of the story? This is awesome. The people are looking, going, we're Saul, we're Saul, we're Saul. And God had to show them where he was hiding. He was hiding amongst the luggage of all the people that came for the party because he didn't want to be king because he was scared to go in front of all of them. And he became one who tried to l have the image of a king but didn't have the faithfulness with God to do it well, and he, and he messed up. And then from that point on, they, they had kings. Some were faithful, some were not, all the way up to the point of that problem being fixed. Uh, so we'll give a couple. I think Mike is the next one. This is a, a part of Scripture that was written at least 400 years before Jesus was born. Uh, in Micah 5.2, where um, the, the God says to the prophet to, to tell the others, uh, you, O Bethlehem, I'm not even going to try it. You are too little to be among the clans of Judah, but from you shall come forth from me, or for me, one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from the old, from ancient of days. Now, it's from the ancient of days, there's one coming. It's going to, spoil a Lord, Jesus is going to be the king of kings. If you go back a couple thousand years before Jesus, we have Isaiah. And this one is just, I, I don't have to tie it too, 
together for you. You'll see this. For, to us, a child is born. To us, a, ch- a son is given. Uh, we know we're talking about Jesus there, right? Isn't that pretty, pretty evident? I mean, that's literally what the angels said um, in the Christmas story, right? Um, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Uh, I got a slide five so I can't see it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So leaving that up there for a second, the key, one of the keys within this, again, this is 2,000 years before Jesus is born. So if you're ever looking for evidence for Jesus, there's plenty of it. Plenty of it, as far as Jesus being the King of Kings. The other thing within this is we're talking about he will be on the throne of David and of his kingdom, that he is going to be from that lineage. If you're skeptical at all and you like history stuff, like especially if you like ancestry, uh, uh, yeah, ancestry.com, uh, genealogy, what I say? Did I say it right? Okay. What are you doing, wife? There's people in the room. Okay. So anyways, if you look at Matthew 1, it's on the screen so you can write that down. Matthew 1 uh, or Luke chapter 3, there's two other um, genealogies there from both of the authors. Um, Occasionally, not often because it really holds not even a logical sense to it. Some people say, well, there's proof that the Bible's messed up because both genealogies are different, with different names and different people and stuff. And that's just goofy. I mean, if I tra- took and um, traced my lineage back to, um, hey guys, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. Shake her off. Hey, Josh. But the, if, if, you, if you trace me back to like my great, 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 great grandfather on one side, there's going to be different names, generation to generation, if, versus if you trace me back to my grandmother on the other side of the family, right? And so Matthew, what he does is he does his genealogy from the standpoint of, um, for the Jews. He wants to trace Jesus back, generation to generation to generation, without skipping a beat, to Abraham, the father, the, the, who they looked at as the father of, the, of Israel, the father of the Jews. Luke traces back generation, 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 without skipping a beat, back to Adam to show them more from a, a Gentile standpoint, because he's writing to the Gentiles. Uh, and that's crazy. Some, some people think like, like Adam, he might just be representation, Adam and Eve are the first people or whatever. Um, th- th- there's things that I don't fully understand, but I do know that it traces back to Adam. That's crazy to me. Person to person, generation to generation. Jesus talks about Adam as a friend at another point in, in the gospel. So I, I believe Adam was exactly who uh, the Bible says he was and traces it back to him. But here's the real thing about the genealogies. Both, no matter who they're writing to or how it trends, make sure that they mention David because Jesus is of the lineage of David. If I go to the next one, uh, I believe we're going to where the angel is talking to Mary, yeah before uh, when he's coming to tell her what's going on. And so the angel says to her, again, do not be afraid, Mary, because she's fallen on her face. That's the proper response to an angel, uh, is fear. And so do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. So over God's people, he will reign forever, and the kingdom will have absolutely no end. So this is a plan that's been in place for quite a time. So let's look at what it means to be a king. We'll put that definition up there, because sometimes... We have, um, and we've talked about this a billion times over here, uh, we define words differently. Like you and I might say the, a sentence and you agree with me and then we find out later we had a complete misunderstanding because we define words differently. So I like to look at definitions, make sure we're on the same page. And according to the dictionary, the king is a male ruler of an independent state, especially one who inherits the position by right of birth. That is Jesus. I mean, more than anybody else that's ever been in history, that is Jesus. Okay, so first off, the, the male ruler. Um, just so you don't think I'm sexist, that's not just about men. It's just if you happen to be a lady, you happen to be a queen, not a king. That's not me. Don't, don't slash my tires. That's just the way it is. And Jesus did come uh, in a masculine form when he came here to the earth. Um, but the thing that really grabbed my attention was an independent state that he is a ruler over an independent state. And I think that's the part that I, I started wondering more about because sometimes we're like stuck in this world and we're like, God, what are you doing in this world? Well, his kingdom is independent of this world. This world is a corruption of what he put into place. He, he is in charge of an independent state. He doesn't have to answer to anybody or anything. Uh, if you look up, um, that's phrasing. Let me see if I put my notes. Uh, there's a phrase, the divine rights of kings. And if you Google that, it's been around for history forever, but it's basically the concept that kings, um, or maybe of the, the, the Catholic faith, popes, they have divine rights because they only answer to God and they're not answerable to anybody on this earth is how, how that, that's set up. Uh, and we've seen the downfall to that over history um, in different places. But Jesus is truly the only one that has divine rights of kings because he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And so he doesn't answer to anybody. And when people are mad at him because he's not answering the way they want him to or not answering as quickly as they want or in the way that they want, uh, he doesn't answer to me. If he calls me and tells me and gives me promises in his word of God that makes absolutely no sense in any way, shape, or form that's supposed to be calm in the middle of this storm, the storm does, has no control over him. He's the male ruler. He's the king of kings, which means he outlasts and is over everything. And he is of an independent state, and he inherits the position how? By right of birth. By right of birth. He never had to come down to this cesspool. But he did because that inheritance was by right of birth and he loved you and he loved his father enough to do it. So that's what we're looking at when we're talking about uh, king. So let's talk about how that happens in your life uh, if, if you're not aware. Um, and I'm going to have to do kind of charades because I was going to pick my paperboard up and in the mix of everything I forgot my paperboard, which I know makes everybody sad, especially Carrie. Everybody <laughs> loves when I get the paperboard out. Everybody. I know it's Easter. You're not to do the bunny ears. 
But, so I'll do charades with you. Um, unless if Mike is running out of the room to go get me my paper because he wants it so badly. No? Not? <laughs> Nobody else either? Nobody? No, you're good. You're good. I, I'll, I'll make you my example. Come here. Come here. You can, you can be part of, part of the skit. How's that? Okay. Okay. I'll call you up when I'm ready for you because it's coming up here in a second. Okay. When God created the earth, right, everything was perfect. It was the way he wanted it for us and for him from the beginning to the end and have community with us. Obviously, that got screwed up. And logically, if it's between him and us, it's going to be us who screwed it up. Because we're just that stupid, right? And so there comes a point that if there's Tom here, no, I'm sorry, if there's Mike, Mike, I'll bring you up, okay. If there's Mike here, okay, and God is over here, I'll let Nicole be gone. Come on, come on, come on. There you go, Claude. A couple of people got that. Okay. So if Mike wants to go to God, okay, because of the sin that we created, there becomes a void between us. So it used to be he could just walk over and shake her hand and go ahead. Hey, God. Hi. Yeah. Yeah. Go back. Okay. That's how it used to be. But now, you guys are missing the paper board now. There's a divide because of our sin. Right? And so in, in that void between us and God is death. According to Romans, it says that the wages of sin is death. And that's what we owe. That, that, that we were told that from the beginning. So if Mike wanted to go to God now on his own accord, like a couple more steps, a couple more steps. Okay, pretend like you fall down. Okay, go back up. Go back up. Okay. It wouldn't work out too well. So the aspect of when it comes to Christ is he chose to be born, to follow his father's will, to live on this earth for about 33 years, being an example, living this life that we have, feeling the hurts, feeling the pain, feeling the, the joys and the celebrations of us, laughing with us, hugging us for 33 years to teach us and to reach us and to, to be able to... to to start the church, to be able to now be able to reach out to him. And then when the cross came into place, when they raised him up, and he had victory over sin on Easter Sunday, right? Then if Mike wants to go to God, and you're not doing this, there's now a bridge, I'm not going to be able to hold you, that he can cross. It's good. Just lay down. It's good. Just lay down. No. No. I'm an old man with an old back. Okay. Then we can cross through Jesus to be with God. And the way that we do that is accept Jesus as leader and forgive in our lives. Glenn, come control him. <laughs> but, okay, you can sit down. You did good in skit. You have to stay. The, I'm kidding. I love you. You forgive me? Okay, so we accept Jesus as leader and forgive in our lives by acknowledging with our mouth he's the son of God. Believe in our hearts, he died and rose again, which essentially was saying, you're God, I'm not anymore. Okay, I'm not going to do my own way anymore. I want to be who you created me to be because my way doesn't work too well. I want to be part of that independent, sovereign state that you are king of, and I will follow you. 
so I can have the freedom and the fullness of the kingdom of God. And if you don't do that, guess what is the things that are blocking you from experiencing the kingdom of God living today? He's king, I'm not. That's how we get to that place with him. So the thing is, is then we have to this too, some opportunities to decide what our response is going to be. If I go back to, to Luke 24, there were three responses to this. There are the woman who believed, good job woman. The men who doubted, idiots, right? But there was one who wanted to explore more. Well, Peter ran to the grave to be able to see it for himself. He wanted to know more. He wanted to experience more. As we know in the Harmony Gospels, John went with him. And they wanted to explore it more. And once again, those are the three answers that we always run back into over and over and over again. What it can't be is I believe I accept Jesus, but then it's not going to bring any change into my life because I don't care. I'm not going to be in the Word. I'm not going to be a community. I'm not going to take and follow what he calls me to do because he's spitting in the face of the king. That's not an option. So it's accept, deny, or explore more. Uh, there's another one I, I want to share with you. Don't, don't put the scripture up yet. I uh, want to set up that I find fascinating. Um, Pilate, is he a good guy or a bad guy? Good guy? Good guy? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Indifferent. Indifferent? Neutral. Neutral? We, we read through this in our community service the other day. When it came to Pilate, he talked to Jesus said, they say you're the king of the kings, king of the Jews. Is that true? Jesus' response is, as you said. And he goes out to the crowd and he says, this guy's not doing anything wrong. There's no reason to kill him for, for claiming to be the king of the kings. Then, so he sends him, because the crowd won't shut up, sends him to Herod. Herod wants him to do miracle boy stuff. He won't do it for him, so he gets frustrated sends him back. And Herod says in front of the people again, look, Herod doesn't find anything wrong with him either. He just finds him frustrating. And so he asks Jesus, I believe both times, are you the king of the Jews? It is as you say. He says again, didn't do anything wrong. Now, the crowd starts screaming. The religious leaders are putting a bunch of pressure on him. His bosses from the Roman side of things are putting a bunch of pressure on him. And I can't say that he was the most courageous man in the world to take and say, fine, go do with him what you want. I'm washing my hands of it. He had the power to save Jesus, kind of. Kind of. From a worldly perspective. And just washed his hands of it. That's cowardly. I give it to you. Jesus is abused, tortured, ripped apart, slapped up on a cross. And above him is a sign. If you can go to that next scripture. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. He wanted to make sure everybody could read the sign. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather put, This man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. It's the only time that he stands up. He goes, I am leaning into this. Now, so did he believe? I don't know, because I don't see a lot of big change to where he stood up and said, I don't care what happens to me. I'm standing up for Jesus. Did he doubt? A doubter would never write that. 
doubt it would never write that. But he was trying to figure out something. He's trying to get his head around something. So the question becomes today, when it comes to Easter, what about you? Is he your king? King of kings. Over your bills. Over your schedule. Even over your marriage. Over your family. And that might sound harsh, but I'll tell you what I've learned is if I put God in the proper place, everything else he cares about and he takes care of with me. So, as a king over your heart, king over death, king over Satan, king over sin, king over depression, king over fear, king over anxiety, king over bills, plans, schedules, relationships, is he king of kings over all? Now, we can stop there and do decision time. And you can do that decision right now. Did you know that there's no magic prayer? You just, again, tell Jesus, I'm yours. So you can pray with him about that right now. We'll do it here in a little bit too, but don't pray for me. It's much too cool. Um, but I do want to give a little bonus to it because I know for a lot of folks in our church, they have accepted Jesus as leader for giving their lives. We struggle. We have victories. We have failures. We get back up. I get that, so I'm going to give you a little bit of bonus. When you accept, the next step is fixation. After acceptance, the next step, step is fixation. Okay, make sure you get that down. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. The wording here in the original uh, for fix um, it goes back to the same root as the word for fix when it comes to, uh, make sure I get these right, Jonah. Yeah, Jonah. Um, I think most of us know the first part of Jonah's story. Jonah's a prophet of God. He goes and gives the word of God to the people. God shows up and says, hey, I've got a message. He says, great, that's what I do. Gives him a message. They need to repent. He says, awesome, I'm in. And he says, you got a message to the Ninevites which are not Jewish people. And uh, yeah, he said, I don't want to. They deserve your death. I just had a conversation with somebody recently on, on, on an area that there was like, there's basic sin, and they, these people just went screw them. And, um, and we were talking about this a little bit because for that, that's where Jonah was at. Uh, the, the Israelites would keep screwing up, and I want to work with them, but these guys are so messed up, I don't want to help them. And so that's why I got on the boat. That's why I ended up getting thrown in the sea. That's when he got the little cruise, right, in the belly of a well for, what, three days? And then when he said, okay, God, I'll go, that's when he got thrown up on the beach by a well. That's great. Uh, and he goes, and he tells the city the message, right? Everything goes good from there on out. And then that's where the kid book stops. But the scripture tells us he goes up on a hill and starts watching the city because he just knows God's going to destroy him, and he wants a front row seat. He, he's still on fact. I, I told him what the, 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 but the problem was the people repented and God blessed them. And Jonah was lit. If you look at the end of the story, he's going, what the heck? And God says, by the way, there's that sovereign state thing. Ha, ha, ha. I do what I want to do. Why is that a, an issue to you? And the word when it says that he is looking at the city waiting for this destruction that he's so excited about um, is fixation. He's fixated on this. In the same way that for some of us older people, and I can't believe we're now older people to have this reference, the same way that we fixated on our TV screens on 9-11. Mm -hmm. 
So if we bring that term into this verse that we are fixating our thoughts on Jesus, now we're going past acceptance into living in the kingdom of God living. Does that make sense? Another verse from Hebrews. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, going in his shame, and, um, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, fixing our eyes on Jesus once again. Wording here goes back to another story in the Old Testament as well, is when Moses sent the spies into the promised land. They get liberated from Egypt. They're going across the desert. By the way, the first time they went across the desert wasn't 40 years. So they got to the promised land pretty quick, and um, they sent spies in to see what, it, what they were up against. Uh, and they handled it really badly, so that's when they became wanderers for 40 years. They had to learn who God was and that he was in control. But th- when they went in, these 12 spies, into the, the promised land, there were like massive enemies against them. And the fixation that, they, that is mentioned there is when they're in that town fixated on their mission, because if anybody realizes they're part of Moses' crew, they're dead. But they're taking in every detail. They're trying to be secretive. Everything, every moment, they're worried about just letting down the guard just a little bit. That's the same fixation that we have here is fixing our eyes on Jesus constantly. If I let it go, the, the, the issues that might come from it. So fixation is huge when it comes to finding our next steps after that. Does that make sense? Being fixated on the king and letting the king rule. Um, I'll finish up with this. This is about 21, 22 years ago. Is when the first uh, Lord of the Rings movie came out. Does anybody like Lord of the Rings? Okay. I got, I got more response, positive response to there on almost anything I ever ask. Huh? I didn't, really, I didn't really have much to do with Lord of the Rings until so movies came out. I was at a, another church at that time, and a bunch of us went like for the midnight showing because they wanted to be the first ones to see it and whatnot. And I like it. It's pretty good. Um, but it has a lot of Christian undertones within it. Um, kind of like C.S. Lewis type stuff within it. And so if you um, have watched the films or you read the books, um, that's so much work. Um, there's one character within it called uh, Stryker, but his name's uh, Aragon. Is that right, Sean? Strider. I'm talking to Sean over here. Strider? Yeah, but the Aragon. Aragon's correct, isn't it? Okay. So I'm talking to Sean. Anyways, through that movie, what, the, what he is, doesn't have a lot of authority, doesn't have a lot of riches, anything very much opposite of that. The, the, there's a big battles going on. He's kind of more like a Lone Ranger type thing, fi- fighting against things before he becomes part of that fellowship. But what they find is that he's the sole heir to Isolador. Okay. The true king of Gondor. Is that close enough? What? I don't even say all sounds, and you guys are trying to get picky on that. That's, he has a goofball. But by the end of it, he used to take his rightful place as king pretty much overall. And so when you get to that point when he becomes king in that kingdom that he already has the right to, he already has the authority to, uh, comes to be, you see quite a change even in him going from like this greasy guy who's been beat up a lot and beat up other people a lot to a king, you know, and they're having this great, great, uh, festivities. Um, but his friends in the fellowship, when they realize what's going on, he is their king. He's their king. Even though his 
kingdom has not been fully established yet. That's the Christian undertone. Our king is our king. I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. He's my king, even though he has not returned yet and got done with the stupid game. Stupid game that we've created and that he's leading us through in his victory and his promises and his truth as king of kings. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.